What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you now as your children, Lord, and we come to you as a loving, teaching Father. And so, Lord, we pray, love us and teach us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, you come to, the, to, you come to this passage here, you ask, you're thinking about that whole thing up down there in Squirrel Hill at the Tree of Life Synagogue. And I um, can't find what I'm looking for, it doesn't matter. Anyway, oh, there it is. Okay, a Tree of Life Synagogue. And you say, okay, so what is it that you are bringing to me? You believers, you, 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 you people from your Bible school, what is it that you're believing, bringing to me? I have a wonderful religion. I have an old religion called Judaism. So what is it that you have? And what is it that we have? The account of the Messiah. We have a Messiah who is described in Psalm 22. So turn to in your Bible to Psalm 22. This is the great account of the Messiah here, Psalm 22 and verse 1, as we again immerse ourselves in what happened to the chief musician upon Ajalath Shahar, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime. Thou hearest not. In the night season, I'm not silent. But thou art holy, although thou, although thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers did trust in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confused. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despise of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, he trusted in the Lord, that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. We have been studying 
one of the most difficult portions of Scripture. It's just not easy to study this portion here, to consider what these scriptures are dealing with, because Psalm 22 deals with the greatest pain that a soul can have, a troubled soul that feels that God is not hearing him. And this is the soul pain that the Lord Jesus experienced, and it started off from this first words in this psalm, in verse one, when he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me, from the words of my roaring, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, thou hearest not. These, those words, thou hearest not, they tell it all because they express this deep pain in the soul from the feeling of having been forsaken by God, the heavens are brass and I'm not being heard. And this was the soul pain that the Lord Jesus experienced on the cross. It was far worse than the torn flesh in his tissue, it was the pain that went deeper into the Savior's soul. So in the last time we were together, we saw that the Lord Jesus saw himself. He looked at himself on the cross, and he thought of all the animals in the animal realm, and he chose one animal to say, I'm like that animal, and that animal's a worm. A worm, he says, I'm a worm. I'm low-ish. I'm no more a man. I'm not a man. I'm a worm in verse 6, but I am a worm and no man a reproach of men and despise of the people. He saw that he was in that state because man had put him in that state. And he saw himself, when he said, I am a reproach of the people, he saw himself as the national shame of Israel, which is how he's viewed today. It hasn't changed. A reproach of men, the national shame of Israel. All the Gentiles will look at and say, oh, the greatest you ever leave was, was Jesus. And the Jews will say, did you have to remind me? National shame. And of all the words that the Lord Jesus could have described, he viewed himself as this one word that, that stood out, and it's the word, he saw himself as how he was viewed, and it's the word despised. Despised. How would you, what do you think of when you think of the word despised? Is it hatred? It's got a little bit deeper meaning than hatred. There's just another layer below than just hatred for the word despise. Despise is made up of two words, two Latin words. First, de, which means down, de, down. And the second word that comes into it in Latin, it means to look. So in other words, despise means to look down on, to look down on. That's why he says, I'm a worm. A worm is despised, it's looked down to. He says, this is a perfect animal. The worm is despised. You're not gonna find any SPCW, Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Worms. You won't because the worm is looked down on. There's no pity. He's a despised animal. And so these were the first soul pains that the Lord Jesus felt on the cross. It's the soul pain that he felt in verse 1 of being forsaken by God. It's the soul pain that he felt in verse 2 of being not heard by God. Thou hearest not. It's the soul pain of being viewed by the people he came to save, that he said, I'm not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's the soul pain of being viewed by them as the national shame, in verse 6, the reproach of men. It's the soul pain of being despised, in verse 6. I am a worm and no man. And there's no shame, furthermore, and no discouragement that a believer can feel more than when he is mocked for trusting in God. And this is what he experienced in verse 8. He trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. And when that happened, the devil aimed his most deadly shot 
at the Lord Jesus, seeking to rob him of hope by mocking the promises of God. There was the Savior on the cross. He was naked. He was despised. As we said, every time, every night, when you take your clothes off, you think my Savior was stripped naked on that cross to, to heighten the shame. Who's ever been discouraged? Who, 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 has never, who, who has never been discouraged? We've all felt discouragement. We've never felt discouragement like this. We've all felt discouragement. This last month, a pastor took his life because of discouragement. No person knew that he was suffering from discouragement until he took out that 45 caliber and, and, and killed himself. How do you deal with that? How do you fight against discouragement in life? What's the answer? Here's the answer. Right here in Psalm 22, we have the answer. We learn so much from the Lord here as he's suffering so much discouragement. And we learn from the Lord how to fight against discouragement because no one's ever been more discouraged than the Lord in Psalm 22. Discouragement from being forsaken by God. Discouragement from not having prayers answered. Discouragement from being stripped naked and viewed as a national shame. Discouragement from being despised and viewed as a, no longer on the human level, but as a worm. Discouragement from being mocked for trusting in God. And it's in these verses, especially in verses 9 through 11, where we see the Lord fighting back the discouragement. And the most important word that the Lord said in his in fight against discouragement is the first word in verse 9 when he said, but. When he said, but, that was a statement that he was not going to give in to the discouragement. He was going to put on a fight. He's just prayed in, in what we've seen here and recounted all the reasons why he was being discouraged he was forsaken, he was unheard, he was shamed, he was reduced to a worm, he was despised, he was mocked. And the Lord was a very sensitive man. He was a sensitive man, and all this was enough to crush anyone. So what did the Lord do in the face of all this discouragement? He said, but. And when he said that, it was the equivalent of the Lord saying, no, no, I will not give in. No, I will fight. Reminds me of, 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 of a reporter, Bruce Johnson, in Washington, D.C. on the Channel 9 News. He was the anchor for the Channel 9 News. And he had a, a, a sore throat, and it wouldn't go away, and he went to Georgetown University, and after nine hours, this test, this, this, this doctor says, oh, you got a cold, you got, oh, you got the flu, you, you, oh, you know, take this, go away. And it was just going back and forth, nothing came, and finally he said, could this be cancer? And that's what it was, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he wrote an article and, he, and the article was called, I'd Be Lying If I Said I Didn't Think About Dying. And in the article, Bruce, Bruce talks about starting out this, with his fight against cancer, and he says, I'm going to kick cancer. And halfway through the chemo, Bruce writes, I gave up, and I surrendered to cancer. And he was totally discouraged, totally given up. And that was the time when God sent to Bruce a little five-year-old neighbor boy named Malcolm. And he came over to Bruce's house every day, and he'd knock on the door, and he said, he'd knock on the door, and he'd yell. He said, hey, Bruce, just going to come in and look around for a while. <laughs> and if Bruce didn't come to the door right away, Malcolm would, would put his mouth up to the mail slot and say, Bruce, Bruce, open the door, open the door, Malcolm. And, and Malcolm come in there and play with Bruce's dog and, and eat cookies and, and watch TV. He's got a picture of Malcolm there. That's the little guy who came there, brought him some flowers. And uh, there's Bruce, Bruce with his buddy Malcolm. That's who God sent to help him pull through this. And, the, and what's important here, the Lord did not have a little Malcolm. 
He didn't have a little five-year-old guy to come over here every day as with Bruce. He didn't have somebody to come up to the cross and encourage the Lord on the cross. The Lord was all alone on the cross. And that's why the word in verse 9 is so important when it says, but, because that was the Lord saying, I will not give up, I'm alone. I will not surrender to the devil. I will not surrender to discouragement. Even though, even though the Lord has been forsaken by all and especially by God, and the Lord says, I will not forsake God. Have you ever been in a pool with a little kid? You know, the little kid doesn't, doesn't know how to swim, and, and you're holding the kid real tight, and you're in the pool, and then all of a sudden, just for fun or whatever the reason is, you just go like that, and you let go of the kid. <laughs> you ever done that? <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> you, you'll be arrested. But <laughs> if you ever do do that, you're going to find a kid that's going to grab a hold of you with all he's worth, he's going to throw his arms around you and pull in, and you can go like this, and that kid's going to cling to you as he wraps his arms around your neck. He's in a state of panic. The child is clinging. And this is where we see the Lord doing here. The Lord is clinging to God. God has thrown open his arms and he's forsaken him, and the Lord is clinging to God. God has taken his arms away and he forsook the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus is clinging to God. And this is the first strategy when he says in verse nine, is forsaken him, oh no. Verse nine, thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou dost make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. And this is the first strategy of clinging is where the Lord Jesus reminds God of how God had brought him out of his mother's womb and made him hope when he was nursing this is the clinging with purpose. It's the clinging with purpose. The position that the Lord is taking here is to argue with God, you had a purpose when you brought me into this world, and it was not to go through some meaningless death here. And so this is the argument that Moses used successfully when God was on the verge of destroying Israel because of their sin. And it says in, in Numbers 14.11, Numbers 14.11, the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. That's when Moses stepped in. And Moses said unto the Lord, then the Egyptians shall hear it, for thou broughtest up this people in the might among them. They will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, for they have heard that the Lord... Thou, Lord, art among this people, that thou art seen face to face, that thy cloud standeth over them, that thou goest before them by day, pillar in a cloud, and in a pillar of night. Of night, You see what he's doing there? He's going back and he's recounting all the things that God did for them. Now, if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then all the nations have heard of the fame of thee will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring his people into the land which he sware unto them. Therefore he has slain them in the wilderness. Now, Lord, I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great according as thou hast spoken. The Lord is long-suffering, great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy mercy, as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. Moses used this argument, and it was very successful with it. He argued with the Lord that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt for a purpose to bring them into the land of promise. And it was that in order argument. It was that for the purpose of, for the end of argument, that Moses succeeded with God and stopped God from destroying Israel. And this is what the Lord Jesus is doing here in verse 9. He is arguing that God took him out of the womb. 
and made him hope when he was on his mother's breast for a purpose. And this could not be the final purpose of God that he should be just be crushed by discouragement. And it teaches us, when we see this, what we are to do when we are discouraged. It's to have this clinging faith where we look back over our lives and we see all the deliverances that God has done for us as he did for Israel with the pillar of fire and the cloud and so forth. And it's to argue this basic point. You did not bring me to this point of life just to destroy me now. And that reminds me of what happened to a, a missionary named Frederick Olford. Frederick Olford was the father of Stephen Olford. Stephen Olford was the man who Billy Graham said was the most influential man in his life. And Frederick Olford went to Angola around 1900 to bring the gospel to the natives. And one day, Frederick Olford was walking in the long grass, it was a long journey he was taking by, by foot, to a village that was far away. And the sun was beating hard and they had run out of water and their eyes had started to bulge for dehydration and they were on the brink of dying for lack of water. And it was at that time when Frederick Olford got down on his knees, and Stephen Olford was there, he heard him. He got down on his knees, and he prayed out loud. Everyone heard him. He said, oh, God, you have not brought me into Africa just to die for lack of water. Please send water. And that was the time the heavens became black, and there was a huge thunderburst of water, and they drank and drank and drank. That was the faith of clinging that was the faith of not giving into discouragement. That was the faith of saying, you have a purpose, God, and it's not to crush me with discouragement. And that's what we've seen the Lord do here in these verses from verse 9 to 11. So when we are faced with this level of discouragement that the Lord was faced with, there were the temptations to give up, give up and, and call it quits. We look at what the Lord did, and he said in verse 10, I was cast upon thee from the womb. You took me out. You received me. You were the midwife, God, who took me out of the womb. And he says, he still calls God. He said, thou art my God. He had already said, our fathers. He is not going to give up. The people reject him. He will not reject Israel. The people will say, as they say to me, you're not a Jew. He says, I am. Those are my fathers. Our fathers trusted in thee. He, God has forsaken him. But God has forsaken him, yet he says, thou art my God. He calls him my God. But now the Lord looks, and he sees trouble all around him. And this is what impresses him. And he says in verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near. There's none to help. The Lord especially feels he's all alone. No one is there. There's no five-year-old Malcolm to come and help him. He's all alone. But he's not really alone. He's all alone, but he's not really alone. Because there's many around him, but they didn't come to help. They came to destroy. And he looks now and he sees all of his enemies in verse 12. And he says, many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. He looks there at his enemies and he says, there's many bulls that are around me. We can imagine the Lord looking at these individuals and trying to identify the individuals. There are just so many of them, it's hard for him. And he's afraid as he sees the sight of these vicious, vicious ones. And he says, they're bulls of Bashan, of all the animals that he could have chosen. Again, he thinks about all the animal realm, and he says, the bull. And what does the bull do? The bull gores, and the bull tramples, like in the bull rings in, in Spain and Mexico. The bulls kill the matador when they gore. And this is how the Lord sees his enemies and, and what they had done to him. With He sees those horns, and he's saying to himself, they gored me. 
they gored me. He felt as though he had been gored through. He felt as though his hands had been gored through with holes. He felt as though his feet had been gored through with the horns of a bull. And some of us, you know, some of us are very sensitive to some physical thing that we might have. You know, Gorbachev with his birthmark on his head there. And, and who could ever think that, uh, of Gorbachev without thinking of that birthmark? That's, that's how everybody saw Gorbachev. That's how Gorbachev saw himself. It was always with that, with, that, with, that, with that identifying mark on his face. Maybe you have something special. You know, and when I think of myself, I can do this, see? Uh, double joints of my thumbs. Huh? <laughs> Maybe there's something in your body that you have. Maybe you have red hair. I don't know. Anyway, but the Lord had something in his body that he could not picture himself without for all eternity. He pictured that as defining him. And those were the gore holes in his hands and in his feet. The Lord is very sensitive to those gore holes in his hands and his feet. As a matter of fact, there was a time when the Lord identified himself that it was really him. And what he did is he pointed to those holes. And it says in Luke 24, 39, Luke 24, 39, the Lord said, behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Handle me and see for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. I remember one time somebody was telling me, you know, that they had this dream and they saw the Lord. And I kind of wondered about it. And he said, oh, I saw the Lord. And I, t- and I asked him, I said, tell me, what, what, did you see anything special about his hands and his feet? Because this is what the Lord said, behold my hands and my feet that is I myself. Just think of those amazing words. Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. For all eternity, the Lord is going to be sensitive to those gore holes on his hands and in his feet, because those holes in his fan and his hands and his feet are the emblems for him of his love for us. And those holes in his hands and his feet speak of his willingness to suffer and to die for our sins. You know, they didn't have to, the soldiers, hey, come on over and help me. I got a real struggling one here. I got to hold these hands down while I put the nails through. I got to hold these feet. It wasn't that way at all. Just took one soldier. He just put his hands down, nail away. He remembers the day when he willingly surrendered his hands and his feet to the Roman bull's abation for them to gore through with the nails like a bull would gore through its victim. And how tender it is now to hear the Lord say in Luke 24, 39, 24, 39, behold my hands and my feet. This is the answer to the question, is it really you, Jesus? Is it really you, Jesus? Is it really me? Behold my hands and my feet. Do you really love man? Do you really love man? Do I really love man? Behold my hands and my feet. Do you really care what's happening to me like we've sung before in the hymn? Does Jesus care when my heart is broken? Do I care? Behold my hands and my feet. See, it's going to be the constant answer throughout eternity. Are you really the good shepherd? Are you really the good shepherd? Am I really the good shepherd? Behold my hands and my feet. This is how the Lord identifies himself. This is how he sees himself. And this is how he is seen in heaven. In Revelation 5, 6, in Revelation 5, 6, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. He is seen as a lamb lamb as it has been slain. How does a lamb look after it's been slain? Not very pretty. Not very pretty sight at all. There is blood. There is blood on the fleas. And this is how the Lord appears in heaven, as a lamb that has been slain. He doesn't try to cover it up. He doesn't say the unsightliness of it. He doesn't go to put his hands in his pocket. I don't want anybody to see. But instead, he forever, behold my hands and my feet. Like Charles Wesley hymn, which says, arise, my soul, arise. 
five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary, they pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.